Hello and welcome. My name is Courtney Whitney. I'm a tenacious follower of Jesus, an army wife, and a mother to six precious souls, two of whom came to a special delivery from China. We own a big red van that carts our tribe around. On this podcast, we explore stories of ordinary people living bravely. We're so glad you've joined us for this conversation from the BRV. Tell me all about it, Christy. Tell me you're married, obviously, kids. Mm-hmm. You live in Minnesota, and that's what I know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's you've got it. That's a good start. Yeah. So <laughs> I am two miles up a dirt road in Stillwater, Minnesota, and been married for 21 years. I highly recommend getting married in the year 2000 because then you always know how long you've been married. <laughs> um yeah, we've been married 21 years. Right now, we have 10 kiddos. So we have um, nine who are forever kiddos at this point. And then we have one who is would be best described as a foster daughter. And she is three years old. And then she has four cousins that we do respite care for. And so when they're here, then we really up the party because <laughs> that is for then it's 14 altogether, 12 at home, but they are not here. You know, they are, they are not always here. Um, so yeah. So 10 kiddos is, is the kids. number I'm claiming right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Okay. So 10, that's what we're doing. We're just 10 kids. I love it. Um, okay. And your husband is Lee. Am I correct? My husband is Lee. And okay. he, um, yeah, we met at camp many, many years ago and had a lot of mutual friends, but had somehow not run into each other. And I think I dated a couple of his friends. I think I just dated one of his friends. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so he is, yes, absolutely fabulous and works in the building industry and loves kids. That's and it's a really, yes, uh, very good at very good at being um, the guiding, the rock of the of our family. Mm-hmm. Good. Mm-hmm. Okay. Good. All right. So, um, how many bios and how many special delivery? I got that from you, and I love it. Yeah. Special delivery. So, tell me five. how many. What do you got? So five, five special delivery and five homemade. Yes. Okay. So, I like um, it. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what sparked the idea? for you guys to start the special delivery. (laughs) Yeah. I have always, always known that I would adopt. There wasn't really, I don't, there wasn't a time in my adulthood where I went through really any decision process to do that. It really was just um, in the same way I knew I always wanted kids. I I always knew that they, at least some of them um, would be adopted. And so that was just always part of my plan. And obviously Lee and I had those conversations early on and it was, you know, it was always something that he was on board with. Now, if you would have asked him <laughs> how many <laughs> you're going to end up with, he would not. <laughs> but um, yes, so it's just something I've always known I would do. I've always had a heart for it. I've always been in love with the, um, just the beauty of, of adoption. And um, yeah, I've always known I would. Okay, that's great. That's really great. Um, so was Lee on board 
at the same time as you when you guys said we're going to do this. Mm -hmm. And you, yes, and, and we didn't. So our older girls, so my oldest two are 32 and 33. So I have 10 kids, eight that are, you know, still in like from 19 down to one. And then my older two, we started with so early when they were so much older that they are now adults. Actually, I have a grandbaby older than my baby. So they, you know, it wasn't, we didn't follow a timeline of getting married and then starting to look into adoption and signing up through it. You know, we didn't, it just never, it just didn't play out that way. So our oldest two girls, my oldest daughter was in my classroom the first year I taught. I was teaching fifth grade out um, near Tacoma, Washington. And she was in my class and I just knew that she was in trouble. And so I developed a relationship with her as her teacher. And then she kept coming in and I'm um, just wanting time with me during recess and sort of wanted me to, to mentor her and, um, and then started looking into the situation in her home that was not safe. And so then we addressed that from a school standpoint. And by the end of the next school year, so the next school year, so I started, my principal at that school, he, his family and my family owned cabins next to each other. And I mean, he's known me since before I was born. So he really kind of walked me through what to do when a kid was in this much trouble. And so mm. I developed a relationship with their mom and they started, the girls started spending like weekends with me. Oh. So, by the so by the next school year, then her sister was in fifth grade, my second oldest daughter. And three weeks before our wedding, everything kind of came to a head. Um, the girls were removed from their home by the county. And even though <laughs> we were 23 and 24 and I, we weren't married yet and we hadn't, were not at all licensed for foster care, the county placed them with me. Wow. Right. I mean, anyone I talk to who works in that system says this would never, ever happen. And I say, I know, but it did. So, um, <laughs> you, know, you know, I mean, so they, they placed them with me and we eventually then went through the process of being licensed for foster care, but they came three weeks before our wedding. They were supposed to, to, to live with me. They were supposed to stay for 90 days and they, that was 21 years ago. Wow. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So. Yes. So was he on board with that from the beginning? Yes, he was absolutely on board <laughs> with that. Um, I mean, I can still, you know, remember that like us early 20s kids, I will say, standing in the kitchen of my house, having this, you know, intense conversation of were we really going to do this three weeks before our wedding in our early 20s? And, um, <laughs> and that's what we did. So what you're telling me is <laughs> that you, you, you adopted before you got married, kind of. Yes. I mean, kids that, kids that were, yeah. So kids that were, um, yes, not that much younger than us, honestly. <laughs> oh, my word. We wow. were 23, 24, and they were 10 and 11, almost 11 and 12. So. Wow. Yeah. My husband is 11 and a half years older than our oldest child. There's a bigger gap between my second and third child than there is between my husband and our oldest child. So, you know what we live out, all this, you, know, you just end up living out the fact that either you are their mom and dad or you're not, or you are a family or you're not. I mean, that's it. You yeah. know, I mean, 
it didn't matter in the end. I'm just, I mean, there were, of course, we can tell you a million stories of what happens when you're only 11 and a half years old and your kids. But, right. I, you know, but in the end, we were their mom and dad and we parented them and they were eventually able through their trauma to attach to us like their mom and dad and they still are. And I am, you know, they, that is exactly how it continues to play out. And so um, it is, it was a very unique situation and continues to be, but we just don't think, I mean, for the most part, we just don't think about it anymore. You know, they're just our kids. Right. Yeah. Right. But it is, it is crazy. It is crazy. But I love it. I guess I, yeah, this is so fun. I had no idea all this was happening. Anyway, <laughs> that's, that's a lot to happen. Um, so, well, I guess my next question, I guess you've answered a little bit of this, but so you've adopted domestically. You just talked about that. And I think you have more kids you've adopted domestically. Um, and then you've also adopted internationally. So what made you decide to go both like tell me the story of you have another son that's adopted domestically do you not is that right correct yeah yeah okay yeah. so was he through the foster system or yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. okay mm-hmm. so yes. tell me how okay maybe I should just back up so you adopted these two girls when you were almost married <laughs> yeah. and then and then what happened <laughs> and then <laughs> and then Aaliyah was born. I was pregnant with Aaliyah by our, on our first anniversary. Okay. And so, um, yeah, so our, by our first anniversary, we had two and we're expecting our third. And then we, um, when Aaliyah was hmm, probably less than a year old, we felt ready to adopt again. And so we, again, initiated that through the foster care system. And I don't really think that we ever thought we would do anything other than adopt through the foster care system. Oh, that, okay. That was just kind of our plan, but um, we can make our plans, right? So, right. yep. So we, so Leah was born and then we initiated Treg's adoption. And, okay. and in the, in the, pro, and we just were surprised, honestly, and I think a little discouraged at how long we were waiting for a placement. It just felt like, um, because the need was so great at the time and because we were so open to, um, you know, to all different kinds of kids that, um, we would receive, we would just felt, I think a little discouraged. And so at that time, while we were waiting for Treg, a good friend of mine out, this is when we lived out on the West coast on Vashon Island, um, mm-hmm. a friend of mine on the Island, um, who was a single mom and she has to two biological daughters and two adopted from China. And she was in the process of adop- adopting two from Haiti. And she pulled me aside at the farmer's market and she said, Chrissy, I need you to pray for me because I'm, the, I wanted, I'm looking into adopting those two girls and I need you to pray for me because anyone else will think I'm crazy. And I said, well, I think you're crazy, but I'll pray for you if you want me to pray for you. <laughs> and, so, and so here, so I was praying for these, for my friend and for these girls. And I just kind of couldn't get them out of my mind. And I called her and I said, I keep thinking about these girls. Is there a website or something where I could go on and just sort of see their or see where they're at and see a picture of them? And she said, and I don't think that you can do this anymore, but at the time you could. And, um, and she said, yeah, here's the link, you know, to, 
to go to go look at them and the organization that they're with. And then she said, and here's another, here's the name of another organization that's doing really great things. And I really think you should go look at their website. And so um, here I was with three girls and in the middle of adopting a fourth or waiting for a fourth foster placement. And I went onto this website and there was the page of available children and I scrolled down and I saw Woodson's picture and I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that that was my son. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I, I know I, I get choked up just thinking about it. I mean, I can still see his little sweet face and I, the picture exactly staring out <laughs> at me through the screen. And I knew, knew, knew for sure mm-hmm. that that was my son. And so, um, so that's my husband's heart, right? <laughs> Mid twenties. Like, oh my word. We're waiting on our fourth and I'm asking him now to be waiting on our fourth and our fifth. <laughs> and, um, you know, and I wow. said, honey, I am pro kids and I am pro adoption. I don't know if I'm hearing from the Lord, the same thing that you are hearing. Yes. And I, um, and I, I had to back, you know, I had to back it off. Right. Because you have to, it has to be two of you, not one of you dragging the other one. And so, yeah, so I, um, I did fake trusting God for a while where I said that I wasn't um, trying to trust the dialing, but purposely would leave the picture up on the computer screen and all sorts of ridiculous things you do in your mid twenties. And then, um, <laughs> and then I, then I let go of it for real. And, um, and it, you know, that Sunday we, um, we were sitting in church and the pastor gave an illustration and it involved um, a story about a family adopting someone from Haiti. And I looked over and there were tears just streaming down his face. And he went to um, to work the next day and really looked into the situation in Haiti and what was going on there. And he came home and he said, you're right, that, that's, that is our son. And so that, so we actually pursued Tregan Woodson's adoptions at the same time. And I, so I put Woodson's dossier together very quickly and um and we still hadn't gotten a foster placement and i um went to the went to the fedex store and i can still remember handing it to the kid who was like 17 years old and yeah because your whole life is in that box that dossier yes um, you like there are original documents in there and i remember handing it to the kid and he finally said to me ma'am if you want me to mail this box you're going to have to let go of it Oh, okay. So I put my dossier in the mail for Woodson and I got, we got the call for Treg the next morning. Oh my So word. that was, that was the Lord giving me time to put that together because I could never have done it as quickly with a brand new foster placement. So Treggy came the next morning at five months old. Wow. Yeah. Five months old. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. So he's okay. So it's Treg. Am I right? Yeah. Like Craig, but with a T. Yep. Yes. Okay. And okay. All right. So, wow. <laughs> this is very exciting. Um, so now have you adopted internationally other than Haiti? No, just Woodson. No, just mm-hmm. Woodson. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what did you tell me? I mean, you've seen, you've done adoption both, obviously now domestically and internationally. Mm-hmm. Are there, what are the 
challenges of both of those and what are they like can you even compare them does that make sense i don't know um the the ways that you adopt uh through each system sure um, somewhat i feel like i'm so i'm a little dated on this because i when we adopted woodson it was right at the end of this era in haiti where you could um adopt the agreement was between like you the orphanage an attorney in the u.s and an attorney in haiti there there was not an adoption agency involved okay. um, not that not that we were trying to avoid an adoption agency just that because my my initial connection with woodson was through this organization i just kept following that avenue Okay. And so, um, and, and they functioned, I think, in a lot of ways, they provided a lot of the same services that an agency would have, but um, I don't know what I'm trying to say is the experience that I had internationally probably isn't repeatable because, you know, it wouldn't be comparable to if I were to go do it again, because it would be um, because of the differences. But, um, you know, I feel like for, at least for me, the challenges between international and foster care for the most part were the same in the sense that not knowing the timeline, not having control. <laughs> yeah. All right. You know, and just wanting that kiddo home and safe and wanting this process over with and just to be able to move on and be so the the patience you have to learn in that in that piece of it. So for yes. and for me the um, I think that the, the challenges of both have more to do with my own um, struggle to just let go and trust and, um, you know, get just one day at a time mm -hmm. than they did the actual process. But um, yeah, okay. I, I would say internationally for me, I felt more removed from the people on the other side making the decisions and foster the foster adopt process, the people making those decisions, whether I agreed with them or not, were at least more accessible to me. Um, mm. Whereas internationally, in my experience, it felt, it really did feel a world away as far as just accessibility of, um, yeah, people on the other side of the equation. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I can see that. I mean, we haven't fostered, but, you know, we've adopted internationally and it did feel like like who are who are the the infamous they that are mm -hmm. you know deciding how this is all going to go down right. <laughs> i don't even know these people right um, yeah and as a mom just wishing they're just you know there's always a few things that i just wish i could pick up the phone make a phone call and just just talk over <laughs> these few things yeah just, yes these people who are alongside me making these huge huge decisions for the life of this child and that um that disconnect is hard for me yes it was for me too um mm -hmm. and i can definitely resonate with the with the waiting game and feeling like this is never going to end is it right. i mean yeah. like, we're going to be mm -hmm. here for the rest mm -hmm. of our lives i think the anyway. best thing in adoption that i ever did for my mental health was to take any timeline i was given and triple it and mm. it was and it usually and and when i tripled it i would really truly make that that and it it was almost it was consistently accurate you know that i wow. <laughs> well it just otherwise you constantly feel like you're past the deadline you know because you constantly yeah. are yes right that's yeah well hey that's really smart actually um so 
so Chrissy, you have, okay, so let me get this straight. So you have your two oldest are adopted and then, mm -hmm. and then you have Aaliyah, who's your biological mm -hmm. and then Treg, he's next. Treg no. and Woodson came out of age order. So Treg came first, but Woodson is older. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, they're only 15 months apart, but Treggy came. So we processed their adoptions at the same time, but Treg was with us and Woodson was in Haiti. I think their right. adoptions were actually finalized within a few days of each other, one in the U.S. and one in Haiti. But oh, wow. um, so they, but Woodson is, so age-wise, it goes Aaliyah, then Woodson, then Treg. Those three are like 19, 18, 17 right now. So they're, oh. they're 17 months apart and 15 months apart. They're close in age. So, um, yeah, so Woodson came after Treg, but he's older than Treg. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then who's who's after wait, who's after Trey? Then there's a big then there's a pretty big age gap. I had a pretty significant mental health struggle between Treg coming home and Reichler, who's next being born. Okay. And I, I really thought like I I really thought I was done. I mean I thought that I was I was like barely functioning for about three and a half years. And then I found somebody who knew exactly what was wrong with me. It was actually related to my jocks. It's a huge, crazy story. And I like got my life back. I got my life handed back to me. <laughs> I was like, oh, wow. wow. I have some more kids. So, right. Yeah. So Treg, so there's, yep. So Treg is 17 right now. And then Riker is 13. Okay. Treg just turned 17 this week. Yeah. Okay. And, okay. And then, okay. So your next one's a bio. Or a dog. Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then, yeah. And they have Reichler. Okay. And then mm -hmm. who's after yeah. Reichler? And then there's another gap after Reichler. He's kind of a lone read. And so then Story um, mm -hmm. is also homemade and she is seven. And Matin is homemade and he is four. And then we will call her little girl is three. And she is with us right now in what is similar. To a foster situation her mom is a dear friend of mine and tug is one and a half and he is homemade he is my grand finale at 44 <laughs> <laughs> oh my word surprise um, <laughs> so what are so you have you've dealt with foster and international and so like tell me the challenges well, the challenges you've experienced with ado um, parenting adopted children. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, the bottom line at the at the very base of the pyramid, right, is that adopted kiddos really, regardless, I mean, any adopted child has been removed from their home and removed from their family, their family of origin. And based on that and that alone, any adopted child comes to you with a brain that has experienced trauma. Yeah. And so kiddos affected by trauma don't always operate the way that we expect them to, the way that we think they should. One plus one is not always equal to. And so, um, you know, it's been this huge learning process for my husband and I to completely and totally rework the way we interact with our kids, the way we parent, the way we see their behaviors, the way we interpret the things they do based mm -hmm. on the brain and trauma and the traumatized brain. And so for 
for for us, the biggest challenge by far has been literally the way we interact with our kids. I can't tell you how often I say to my girls, my oldest two in their thirties, who came the two who came first, how often I say to them, "I am so sorry. I did not know this stuff." <laughs> right. Like, I could go back and re- you know. I mean, partly I was just in my early mid twenties and wasn't look you know I didn't know to look for that information and partly it literally wasn't out there I mean yeah it, it wasn't available right and so um you know this process now of you know sort of just trying to <laughs> growing kids God's way their behaviors right slowly but surely learning oh that is does not work and um yeah and so by far by far the biggest challenge for us is parenting trauma but at the same time, it's by far the biggest joy and gift and piece of redemption and beauty is mm. to, if you acknowledge the way that God built the brain and acknowledge um, the the ways that he, the knowledge he's made available to us as far as how to, how to love that brain the way that it is. Um, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Right. It's beautiful. Mm. Yes. So you're, mm-hmm. you're saying it's, it's both like your, it's your greatest challenge and your greatest joy is to have yeah. this. Yeah. Like the kids coming from, um, you know, tough spots, I guess, hard places. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. Wow. Um, so how have your adoptions affected your bio kids? Like negatively, mm-hmm. positively, mm-hmm. how's that gone? You know, I think the negative is pretty much the, ne- the the negative effects are kind of what I would have guessed at the beginning. I don't think there are huge surprises. It's sort of the list of obvious, right? Like um, when I have little parenting energy left at the end of the day because I have been parenting trauma all day or just the fact that listening to someone scream and kick the wall for 45 minutes is unnerving. <laughs> Even yes. if your mom is sitting next to them, rubbing their back and telling them they're safe, it's still unnerving. <laughs> yeah. Um, or I think sometimes, depending on their placement in the family, just sort of feeling alone and isolated, even in the middle of this huge family, because you don't feel seen or understood by by your siblings. So there are those pieces for them that um are you know are difficult and are hard. And um, and then there's uh, the negative is what I would have expected. I don't think I ever could have anticipated how incredible the positive effects on my kids have been. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the things the things that have grown so related to adopted kids or not, the things that have grown my children the most are the things that were so so hard for them. I would have given my whole world to make it stop because my heart was absolutely breaking. Like my 19 year old daughter, when she was like from age seven to about age 10, walked through an absolutely just heartbreaking, heartbreaking health battle. I would have given my entire world to make it stop. And now I look and I know that it's it has so much to do with who she is today, with her grit, with her love for the Lord, with her ability to love um, people in hard places at hard times, you know, it's like those pieces that we would never have wished for our kids are the pieces that develop them into exactly who we hoped and prayed that they would be. 
Mm. And I see that too in adopting um, kids from really tough places that um, the things that my kids have had to walk through um, and to be fair, my adopted kids have walked through some very difficult things at the expense of <laughs> at the hand of their biological siblings. It doesn't only go one way. Right. But, um, but some of the things that my kids have walked through because we um, they live in a home with a lot of kiddos affected by trauma are also the same things that have taught them um, this incredibly strong sense of justice, this love for others who are hurting their ability even if someone is so so unkind to them to still say oh he was such a jerk to me but he's probably miserable mom (laughs) he's probably really hurting I can't imagine what must be going on for him to be that awful to me you know I mean like that that mentality that grounds them a lot and um and I think just their core belief that we do serve a redemptive God that he does bring beauty from ashes. And that ability, even in the middle of the dark and the hard, to, to believe that it will be redeemed because they've seen it. They've seen it in small pieces. They've seen it happen consistently. Mm. And so um, I think that that is, is huge. I, um, my, my teenage boys, for a while worked together at a a local business here. And there was a situation where a young man who um, is a wonderful, wonderful young man with some significant um, disabilities was being very, um, he was not being treated fairly. The way he was being treated really, really wasn't okay. And, um, And my boys were so, so bothered by it that they, you know, asked mom and dad for help and went through the avenues to report that to, you know, the people who owned this business and let it be known and really um, did everything they could to protect him. And we ran into him, this young man and his mom at the store the other day. And here, I mean, like I said, treated really unfairly saying over and over to my son, I'm so thankful you did what you did. If you hadn't stuck up for me, it would still be like it was, but it's so much better because you stuck up for me. I'm so thankful for what you did. And, you know, and it just like was so good for my mama heart. And it was just such, I think such a result of my son consistently, um, my son consistently seeing how important it is to be a voice for those who don't have a voice and to value every person regardless yes. of what they, what the world may consider that, that they have to offer. Yeah. Wow. Oh, I, you know, I thought that through with like, um, well, I guess this goes for any children or whatever, but you know, the hard things that people go through, that kids go through, um, you don't like as parents, I think our natural knee-jerk reaction is to try and shield them from the tough stuff and be like, no, let's make this as easy as possible for you. (laughs) Um, but, but you're right in that. I mean, I'm even considering, you know, portions of my own life that were rough and challenging. And I think, wow, if I, you know, that grew me in ways that I could not Mm -hmm. have grown. Mm -hmm. And so I, you know, it's the same thing with the kids, but it is such a challenge to, um, you know, to let that, 
not that sometimes you just don't have a choice and it happens whether you quote unquote let it or not but um it's tough to watch and walk through you know I'm preaching to the choir on that one (laughs) it is um and there is a line where you where we as parents right are responsible to keep an eye on each one of our kids and monitor how much can they take care? How much can they handle? There are certain situations where it is absolutely, you know, I'm talking about this very pie in the sky right now from a 10,000 foot level, but there are situations where it is absolutely my responsibility as a mom to remove my kids from situations that are just too much for how old they are, their developmental age, their emotional state at the time. Absolutely. I mean, yes parenting kids alongside each other does not come with a whole lot of moving pieces around and making sure that everybody feels seen and safe in their own space I mean that's probably 90 percent of what we do honestly right right (laughs) so there are for sure two sides to it but there is it is worth it because of because of the beautiful side of it yeah okay yeah no Mm -hmm. I'm I'm with you on that one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I, I, it's really challenging to figure out sometimes where that line is, at least it is for me. <laughs> and, and the line moves. I think that yes. the line moves depending on the child, depending on where that child is today. And absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yes. But I do, I do think, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just, I was just echoing what you were saying. I, I'd love mm-hmm. to hear what you're, what you're about to say. Uh, I just, I do think that there are qualities that we really desire in our kids that we really just can't be developed unless we're willing to put them in a place where they serve and they have to sacrifice and it, it stings and it, it takes a little more out of them than they would like. I, I just think that we really have to ask our kids. We have to be willing to put our kids in situations where we ask them to do hard things within reason. Um, for certain character qualities to develop. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Mm-hmm. It's just, yeah, it's, wow, what a challenge. <laughs> um, so how has your personal walk with Christ been like your own character and um, your walk with the Lord? How has mm-hmm. that been mm-hmm. shaped by your adoption? Mm-hmm. Can I can I back up and say one more thing? On please, talking about please. I was just thinking my I think my biggest realization in the last couple of years which really should have come a lot sooner but um in watching my in watching my kids in what we were just talking about monitoring my kids as if I have if I have one or two children who are really in the thick of dealing with some some tough tough trauma stuff and some really difficult behaviors and I'm watching my other kids to see how they're doing the biggest the the biggest piece that determines whether or not my other kids feel safe and calm and that they can continue growing really doesn't have a ton to do with how that other child is doing. It has to do with how I am managing as a parent. Mm. If I, if, if that other child, if it's clear to my other kids that this child who's struggling has pushed me to the, at my absolute last nerve, the edge of what I can handle, I am on the brink and like, you know, teetering on the balance beam. Oh yeah. Then nobody feels safe and calm in my home. But what that other child can be really, really, really struggling. But if I am grounded and I'm calm and my kids don't have the sense that I'm teetering on the edge, they really truly, for the most part, within reason, can continue 
to feel calm, to feel safe, and to continue growing in their own space. If if they feel like mom and dad at the helm are calm and under control. Um, okay. That that to me, not that I didn't know that, but I feel like in the last few years I've realized how the extent to which that is true. Mm-hmm. And that if what I'm communicating to my other kids is, yes, this is hard, but I do this. It's a joy for me to serve this child in this way. It's a joy for me to serve your brother in this way, even when he's hurting this deeply. If that's, if that's what I'm communicating to my other kids, I can sort of supersede the chaos that that trauma is bringing into my home at to a certain level. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mm-hmm. think that's awesome. I feel like I just learned something. <laughs> because I I mean you know as I look back at some of the struggles that we've had I I do know that yeah if mom's not okay and not hanging in there then Mm -hmm. the whole family's like oh dear you know we're we're not okay nobody's okay but you're right if if I can feel more grounded and act you know just a little more chill easier said than done but that is true yes Mm -hmm. it is yeah but it is, I mean, all around, it's just kind of that, I mean, it's obviously a deeper version of, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. But like, yeah, exactly. you know, that idea mama of like, ain't grounded, ain't nobody grounded. There you go. There. I like that better. It's good. <laughs> That's good. Um, yeah. No, I'm glad. I'm so glad you shared that. That's good. Um, yeah. So any thoughts on your on your walk with the Lord and how that has been shaped by your adoption. Yeah. You know, I was in a prayer time over um, some things related to some of my kiddos just in the car on the way home. And I, you know, just sort of had this conversation with the Lord where I was asking him why it was so hard for me to trust him and was able to immediately answer my own question that the reason it's so hard is because it doesn't always do what I would like him to do, right? Mm, right. Wouldn't it be nice? Yes. Yes, <laughs> it would. Things played out the way that I um, am so sure that they should. So, mm. I mean, my biggest growth piece, you know, every time is that trust piece. And I sort of feel like, how do I not have this down by now? Like, how does my stomach still hurt this bad over this thing that I'm so worried about, or, you know, this call mm-hmm. I'm waiting for this, you know? Um, so for me, it's a, con- you know, a continual learning process in that trust piece and alongside that trust piece, that constant reminder that this world is not our home, mm-hmm. that what I'm doing, getting things to work out down here the way that would look just and fair and right to me um, isn't really the end goal anyway. The end goal is, am I doing what I'm doing as a sacrifice and service to the Lord? Is that my, is that my motivation? And, um, you know, is that what's driving me? Um, And that acknowledgement that, um, that his, his ways are higher. Than, than my ways and that they do make sense and so for me it's you know part of it is that constant like like I'm in trust 101 all the time but um you know rereading the curriculum constantly <laughs> <laughs> and 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 that and a constant opportunity to hold on to the belief that he is good that mm-hmm. that he is good you know that even 
even when this or that, he um, he still is good. I yeah. think also that um, I think that loving kids in these places is a great reminder for me as a Christian of his heart for us mm. and his desire, you know, the love with which he pulled us into his family and um, yeah. And the belief that that, that is what that's my job. Our job as parents is to repeat that here on earth. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's to, so good. Yeah. And, and echoing, echoing what we said earlier, I think that for, you know, the, probably the overarching biggest piece throughout our story that has changed me spiritually is just the core belief that we serve a redemptive God. Like, as I've already said, that he, he is a God of redemption. He does bring beauty out of ashes. He does bring um, love and healing of brokenness. And that that is, that's what he's all about. That's what the cross is about. It's about redemption of um, our lives that we cannot ourselves redeem. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's great. That's really great. <laughs> um, so uh, uh, just the last final kind of, is there anything that you kind of want the audience to uh, know or last final two minutes of here? I want you to remember this. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, what? <clears throat> what would you want to kind of throw out there? Why would why would people consider adopting or, you know, just whatever you kind of want to throw out there? I think, I think the thing that I would say is that step one, of course, in adoption or anything, step one is to make sure that this is what we're being called to, mm. that, you know, what I'm considering is what the Lord has laid before me. And as long as you know that, then the thing that I would encourage others to lean into is that loving people and sacrificing for others way beyond what the world considers to be quote unquote normal. If, if it's done in the name of Jesus, even if it takes everything you've got, it's worth it. Even when it's really, really hard, yeah. if you're sure it's what you're called to. You know, I mean, there are so many things I think in adoption that we look into that others say, that just might be too much. Are you sure you want to ask that much of yourself? Are you sure you want to give that much? Are you sure you want to do that much? And of course, like I said, that's why step one is, are you sure this is what the Lord is calling you to? Because some things are too much. But, um, mm -hmm. but if it's what the Lord is calling you to, even if it makes your life look different than anybody else's, even if, um, like me, you end up in the same stage of life for three decades in my 40s and 20s, even if you get your heart completely wrong, I mean, way to really, truly do foster care in a way that honors the Lord and heals the child is to get your heart completely and totally broken at the end. I mean, that's it. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and so even if the things that you're considering just seem like too much by the world standards, if it's what you're being called to, and it's, and it's in the name of Jesus, 
it, it's still the right thing to do. It's still worth it. Yeah. You should still go for it. You know? Right. 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 Yes. Mm. Oh, that's amazing. Oh my word. Well, thank you, Christy. Thank you. Thank you for thank being you. my guest. This is so, it was, it's so encouraging to hear your story. I just, I mean, like I said, I didn't, I only knew the little, little pieces. I didn't yeah, get just hear the whole thing. Facebook pieces. Right? Yeah. <laughs> we didn't get to hear the whole story. I just didn't know you'd been a mom for, you know, like half your life. <laughs> <laughs> That's so exciting. <laughs> right? Your whole life. It's your forever whole life. Good deal. Cool. Well, thank you again. And I am going to look forward to throwing this out to podcast land and I'm looking forward to having people listen because it's a, it's just so encouraging. It's such a good, great story. Good deal. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this conversation from the BRV. We hope you enjoyed the discussion and that it inspires you to live out your own brave story.